and welcome to this Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Yuri Pagel. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Yuri onto the show. Yuri, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is a pleasure to have you back as our first repeat offender. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's an absolute pleasure. So, uh, can you give, for, the, for those of you who have not heard the first podcast and don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've done until now? Yeah, for those who don't know, uh, my name is Yuri, Yuri Pagel. I am currently 28 years old and I work as a performance trainer within uh, AFC Ajax here in Amsterdam and also with the Dutch men's three-on-three national basketball team. Um, I've worked over the past years in various sports from from fighting and soccer and basketball to field hockey, um, but also sports like weightlifting. So I'm settling now into this dual role in in, uh, football or soccer and basketball. That's pretty much how I fill up my days. I'm chatting crap with uh, other SNC coaches. Yeah, that's that's definitely how I fill up the evenings once in a while. <laughs> right, excellent. So we're here to discuss Olympic lifting and why that's important within the context of team sport. So first things first, what are Olympic lifts and why they're important? Yeah, I mean, they're super often discussed. I think, I mean, going to, to the real basics, I mean, there's a sport, Olympic weightlifting, uh, which of course comprise of two different lifts. One is going to be the clean and jerk where we move a barbell from the floor to the shoulder uh, before moving it overhead. And then there's a second lift, which is a snatch where we bring the barbell from the floor in one motion to the overhead position. So basically for both lifts, it is a purpose to get the barbell from the floor overhead. However, we do this is going to be in two different ways. So we do have to understand that these two lifts form an entire Olympic sport by themselves. Um, but they also serve as a um, quote-unquote training method within uh, the realm of athletic physical development. And um, in a relative majority of situations in team sports, you're going to be likely to see the Olympic lifts being done, whether they're being done fully, so the full lifts, or the coach uh, at hand chooses to use derivatives of the lifts, such as working you know, from the, the hang position. Uh, they might perform pulls or using another tool than a barbell, so let's say a, a trap bar. Um, but you're going to be very likely to see some form of Olympic lifts being done in a lot of athletic uh, settings. And um, I mean, that's likely for good reason, you know, considering that the effectiveness of the Olympic lifts has been pretty well demonstrated and uh, and documented over the years in the literature over the past decades, even. Um, And especially when the, the purpose of using them is to increase power output capabilities, uh, especially vertically. Um, so for instance, if we're trying to improve our standing vertical jump outputs, they've also been very well documented to be highly related to, uh, increases in rate of force development or RFD, 
They also have the ability to increase eccentric rate of force development. So the ability basically for an athlete to put on the brakes quickly, which of course occurs during the catch of a, a clean, a jerk or a snatch. Um, another reason you might use them could be because of the, uh, it's ballistic intent of the Olympic lifts, which makes it much more similar to a lot of movements in sport, which are also very likely to be ballistic in nature. So we can reasonably expect a bit more transfer towards the movements in sport. Uh, coming from the Olympic lifts, and if we're comparing it to non-ballistic ballistic lifts, such as, for instance, a squat or a deadlift. Um, and for those who, uh, who don't know, ballistic here, I mean uh, any movements where the object at the object at play is being projected into space. Right. So in this case, that's going to be the barbell. Uh, in most sporting situations, that's going to be an implement like a ball or uh, the athlete's body itself. So. You know, that could be another reason is the fact that we're discussing the ballistic intent, um, which is likely going to be a reason for a little bit more transfer. So a lot of reasons why people would use the Olympic lifts, for, in my opinion. Um, but that, of course, it, it doesn't tell the entire picture yet. So you've, you've got your Olympic lifts and they have a high correlation coefficient to some sporting activities. Um, and there's a lot of uh, yeah debate or, or discussion at the moment around whether you could substitute loaded jumps instead. So how do you see that kind of uh, the difference then between Olympic lifts and uh, loaded jump variations? Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're super often compared, um, and although I think they might be partially replaceable, um, but there are going to be some pretty big differences. So. Firstly, first off, I think they train very similar qualities. Uh, they've been compared frequently in the literature when looking at their similarities and which one is supposedly, you know, superior for driving um, adaptations such as power development or RFD. But I think one of the main differences, so not necessarily looking at the similarities, I think one of the big differences is going to be that the intent for the ballistic for the Olympic lifts is ballistic like I just discussed, but the athlete's body actually isn't ballistic because it remains on the floor. But if we're looking at the loaded jumps compared to the Olympic lift, so compared to the clean snatch and jerk, in the loaded jumps, the athlete naturally becomes a ballistic object themselves because we're jumping off the ground, so we become that projectile uh, into space. Um, so if we stabilize the load, so let's say we're both using 60 kilos on a snatch or we're using 60 kilos on a loaded jump, we can quite reasonably state that the Olympic lifts will carry a little bit less impact um, on the lower body uh, joints, at least, than the loaded jumps, right? Because whatever goes up also has to come down. So if I jump up, I also have to be able to, to land um, and that might be a little bit more impactful. Now, of course, we do have to understand if we're snatching or cleaning and we're doing the full lifts. There is a lot more impact on the upper body. Um, that's also something that might distinguish it. But I think um, that that difference between the ballistic intent and the actual ballistic movement of jumping could be a difference. But we also have to understand and appreciate here that there are also jump variations or loaded jump variations where we can take away that a lot of that impact upon landing. So, for instance, if I use a trap bar jump um, and I have uh, blocks underneath me, I can basically jump up and let the bar or the trap bar fall onto the blocks instead of catching the weight and my body at the same time. So there are ways to work around this. Um, and then secondly, I think another thing I do find very interesting personally 
And this is what I felt myself. So that's anecdotal evidence, um, but also seen over the years in my athletes is that the Olympic lifts do carry a certain level of intent. Now, I haven't spoken about this a bunch, but it's really been floating in my head. Um, and it's for the following reason, because the athlete is basically forced to catch the barbell, right? So they're also subsequently, in order to get the barbell to a certain height, they're forced to move the bar at a certain speed and create a level of intent, or they're going to subsequently fail the lift, right? If I don't produce enough bar speed, I will fail the lift. So basically, if you have a certain load on the barbell, the athlete has no choice but to be intentful. Now, for anyone that's worked in any uh, setting working with athletes, you are definitely going to find yourself in situations where athletes don't naturally um, provide this level of intent. So let's say I'm doing loaded jumps. Uh, the athlete needs to deliver intent in order for us to move the weight fast enough to expect the desired adaptations. But you're going to be finding yourself in situations where the athlete doesn't really feel like going all out. So they might jump an inch off the ground where they actually could have potentially jumped 12 inches. And there'd be no consequences because there's no reason for them to deliver the intent. And I've, I've seen this personally plenty of times. So again, the Olympic lifts basically force you to be intentful while a loaded jump doesn't necessarily do that for you, right? So you have to find other ways to get that intent. Um, so the, the risk basically associated with the ability to fail a lift, this time uh, the clean snatch or jerk, it has its strengths, so a certain level of intent, but of course, it'll also have its weaknesses because anywhere where we might miss a lift also comes some inherent risk. Um, so with that said, I think they both have their place, the Olympic lifts and the loaded jumps. I have used both um, interchangeably in some cases, and they might be partially replaceable. But I do think there are, are some pretty, uh, pretty distinct differences, basically. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. Cool. So you're going to then start to apply this to a team context, right? So you're working in a team sport, which is what you do. Um, what are then the advantages and disadvantages of using Olympic lifts specifically in team sport? And you could take uh, either football or basketball, of course, as, as your examples. Yeah, I, th I think for me personally, it comes down to two, two words. And generally, a lot of things come down to that for me. It's, it's about the inherent efficiency of the task or the tool, uh, given the task at hand and the, the given effectiveness. So I think simply put, right, the biggest proposed advantage for the Olympic lifts is its likely or proposed effectiveness in getting the job done. So meaning generally, if our goal is to increase, uh, you know, maybe late stage rate of force development or increase vertical power output and expect a transfer towards uh, standing vertical jumping, I mean, the Olympic lifts are likely to get you some pretty decent results. So as far as looking at getting the job done, I mean, you know, they, they have been established through the literature and also, you know, my own results, looking at my own work, they work. But 
Whether that means that the Olympic lifts have a, uh, a high bang for its buck ratio is then another part of the discussion. Because given its relatively immense effectiveness in getting the task done, it's also a very, very inefficient tool to use. Meaning the time and energy that it takes for us um, to reap the benefits from the Olympic lifts, the resources we need to spend in order for us to reap those benefits, that is pretty damn high. Because relative to most tools in the weight room, so let's say comparing it to uh, to back squatting or deadlifting, uh, lunging, or maybe even loaded jumps as we've just discussed, the Olympic lifts are far, and I mean far more technically demanding. Because remember, these two lifts, the clean and jerk and the snatch, together comprise an entire Olympic sport. So I think sometimes we're underestimating how important that technical aspect of these two lifts really is. So because they are so technically demanding, in order for our athletes to be able to execute them safely and be able to, to gain these adaptations or these desired adaptations that we want from them, we're probably going to have to be able to spend a lot of time for athletes to be able to do so, uh, not just from a skill acquisition perspective, but maybe also from mobility requirements. And one thing I do say, this is maybe where, for instance, these derivatives, so such as the, the clean pulls or partial range work might be very beneficial because it takes away some of the time needed to teach the movements and it allows us to, to, to uh, work for these adaptations maybe a little bit faster. And yeah, that's, that's basically how I look at it. So it's, it's basically a two-way between efficiency and effectiveness for me. Fantastic. So when you take all of those things into account and you start to apply that into your own context, where do you start? So could you give us like a, maybe a progression from uh, how you would start an introduction to Olympic lifting through to maybe an athlete who's, who's done that for a few years? Right. Um, I think ideally, and this, this comes from my own experiences working, um, I think they work best or I most ideally in what I'd uh, coin long-term project kind of situations. Uh, so if I have, for instance, a couple of years, a few years to groom or develop an athlete, especially if this is at a younger age, so maybe consider high school or college situations, uh, then I can take that time, that sweet time to develop a movement foundation and use the Olympic lifts um, to get the adaptations we're after when the athlete is truly ready for it, right? So I can take all the time to develop the lifts. And if you develop these lifts, they're likely going to, you know, from my perspective, if someone can clean and they can snatch and they can jerk, they also, in order for them to be able to do so, have to be able to lift overhead. They have to be able to hinge. They have to be able to squat all these different kinds of things. So developing the lifts at an early age also then allows you to use all of these other tools within a weight room setting. So I think in these, you know, working with younger athletes where you have a lot of time to kind of groom them, I think they, they are a very, very important and valuable tool, even though I wouldn't say it's a must, it's a very valuable tool. Um, because also for, for a lot of athletes, I think if we're looking at the long-term picture of training, a lot of athletes do enjoy doing the, the Olympic lifts. You know, they're a pretty big driver of training intent. A lot of athletes, it makes them feel athletic. Uh, they find it fun. So in order for us to establish a long-term connection to training, you know, using the Olympic lifts could be huge. Um, but we do need to make sure that we do have the time available to develop this foundation instead of spending all the time on weightlifting when we'd be better off spending time working on other qualities. So it really depends on how much time you have available and what kind of situation. Um, but ideally for me, it'd be, it'd be working with younger athletes if I have some more time. 
that'd be the situation where I'd be most likely to use them. Uh, but also, you know, I, I'll, I'll definitely use them with more advanced athletes that do already have a solid foundation or, or maybe a background in using the Olympic lifts. So consider, for instance, if I have a player that comes from a different setting uh, where they preach the Olympic lifts and they've been doing it for a very long time, then that's perfect. Um, the efficiency factor becomes less, far less important, maybe even uh, negligible, uh, to the point where I can easily reap the proposed benefits of the Olympic lifts without those downsides that come from the time and energy of teaching the movements. So in those situations, I might also use the lifts uh, because I don't necessarily have to teach them and I can immediately implement them. Now, let's say I'd be very naturally inclined to use the Olympic lifts, but I still don't have a lot of time, but I still want to use certain lifts. And I personally really put my energy towards some of these derivatives. So some of these more simple variations where a squat clean or a power clean might be more complex to teach. I could still derive some of the same adaptations or maybe similar adaptations from working with, for instance, a, a clean pull while a clean pull uh, especially if performance, for instance, from the hang or off blocks is going to be much easier to teach. So it's going to cost me less time. So if I really want to put it in the Olympic lifts and I'm not in one of those situations I just described, then I'll probably use a derivative that takes less time to teach, less complex. So it's easier for me to implement it quickly. And then maybe, yeah, could you take us through an example where you then start with that um, and you build it up to a, a full lift? What What kind of progressions are you looking at in between? Um, I think there's there's two definite ways to, to teach the Olympic lifts. I think we can work bottom up so we can work with a full lift in mind. I personally actually enjoy starting off simple and then from there working backwards. Um, so if, if I were to teach the Olympic lifts, my style of teaching the Olympic lifts generally starts at the, the power position, uh, so the high hang position. From there, I would definitely use a complex working around uh, clean pulls towards maybe power clean, muscle cleans, power cleans, or uh, low catch slash squat cleans. And then from there, I would move towards the mid hang or low hang. So slightly above the knee or below the knee, all the way to the ground. So I'd start as simple as possible and just work on the, the essence of the movement, which is, you know, that power position and nearing that what most would call triple extension. Uh, and working on the catch, and then from there, increasing complexity and bringing that bar closer to the ground as a starting position. I think that's, for me personally, how I've felt that I can best teach the Olympic lifts um, without complexity became, becoming too much of a factor early on. Fantastic. So before you leave, we want to ask you the one thing that we think is the most difficult question that we can think of, and that's what is the <laughs> one thing that you see or do differently which the rest of the world can learn from? Um, I mean, we're, we're really not that unique. <laughs> um, and I, I certainly am not, I, I mean, I don't know if I truly do anything like, uh, quote unquote differently. Uh, but the big thing I personally try to do is to match the method or exercise, uh, that's at hand and make it fit with the athletic population I'm working with at the time. So I don't consider myself married to one method or exercise, so as long as something gets a job done and drives the intended uh, or desired adaptation, you know, then for me personally, I'm, I'm going to be all good. Uh, so, for instance, like I said, I have I have a pretty large background working with weightlifters, um, national champions, European championship level level weightlifters. I've personally done them for for about a decade now. So I really I've, I've personally fallen in love with the lifts. If I can do one thing um, in the weight room, it'll be a power clean for myself personally. 
but I don't let that cloud my judgment as to whether they're valuable for the athletic populations I'm working with. Because in the end, unless I am working with a weightlifter, then the Olympic lifts are merely just a means to an end goal, uh, but not the end goal itself. You know, if the end goal is increased rate of force development or power development or whatever it might be, then there are various ways to get this done. So as long as it's not the end goal, then it is interchangeable or replaceable with something else as long as a tool that I'm using. So in this case, Olympic weightlifting is going to be efficient or effective. And if it's not, I'll, you know, just pick something else. So I'll just try to pick and choose from all these tools and try to find the ones that match my current situation best. <laughs> that's pretty much it. And I guess that's, you know, pretty simple, but uh, that's the way I look at it. Mate, it's absolutely fantastic and a great message as well. I think uh, lots of people overcomplicate things or they, they take things for granted or just keep repeating the stuff that's already worked for them before. So uh, it's nice to hear a little refresher on, oh yeah, we need to make sure that we are individualizing to the population in front of us and we are making sure that it's relevant and uh, up to date. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to steal any more of your time because you've very generously given us uh, yeah, already uh, almost a half an hour. So uh, Yuri, massive thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me up, man. Thank you very much, buddy. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Yuri for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope you do at home too. Before you leave, be sure to check out Yuri's first podcast with us if you haven't already. That's on plyometrics in team sports. So if you're interested in making sure that your athletes are not only producing high power outputs in Olympic weightlifting, but also in your plyometric work, that's a fantastic episode to check out. That link will be in the show notes. And also in the show notes will be a link to our seven-day free trial of the Coach Academy. Our Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures of around two hours broken into bite-sized chunks, which you can consume around your busy coaching week. So if you are interested in all things sports science and strength and conditioning, all you need to do is click the link in the show notes, get that one for free. That's a seven-day free trial where you can watch those videos to your heart's content. And of course, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to also hit the subscribe button. More subscriptions, of course, means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests on the podcast and giving you the best possible information every single week. And that's it. Once again, that's a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.